Hey, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Um, if you're new, this is your first time, I just want to personally welcome you. Maybe you're watching for the first time online. Thanks for joining us. Um, like Ryan said, my name is Greg, one of the pastors here. And I, I want to start off, uh, before we get into the word, I want us to just actually pause and spend some time in prayer as a church family. Um, got a text yesterday from Pastor Gary that, you know, Pastor Igor and his wife Lena, if, if you guys remember from about a month or so back, um, they're from Ukraine, pastors and um, ministers in Ukraine. Uh, they, they came to the U.S. to kind of flee the situation, uh, but since they've gone back, and so they're in Kiev right now, and we just got message that uh, last night there's been heavy uh, um, just you know, missile, cruise missiles exploding um, in, in their area. I believe there's like 45 missiles the day before, then 14 yesterday. And they said as close to a mile from where they are. And so you can only imagine how uh, frightening that must be, that, that you could be hit. And so um, we're going to pray as a family for uh, Igor and Lena. And ask the Lord to be their rock, their refuge, their comfort. Um, in this very present danger, okay? So would you take a moment with me where you are, um, even if you're listening at home or in the car, just, just uh, take a moment, let's pray for them, ask the Lord to just really protect them, that they would come out of this unscathed, that the Lord would continue to use them to do his work there, okay? So let's pray together uh, right now. Father God, we sometimes take for granted um, the fact that we can just sit in a quiet place to find rest for our souls in a place like this, a sanctuary. And some of us are at home or in an office right now, and that's safe too, Lord. And we, we just thank you that we can worship you without fearing for our lives. But Lord, we pray for our brother and sister, Igor and Lena, as they're in a very dangerous situation right now, Lord. Their lives could literally be taken at any second, Lord. And I just pray that you would fill them with a supernatural comfort and peace that only comes from you, your Holy Spirit in them. May they hold on to the hope that you are their God and you love them deeply, God, and your will will be done in their lives, God. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that if it's your will, Lord, that they would uh, be completely shielded from any of these attacks, that they would uh, really thrive and prosper so that they can continue to minister to the people of Eastern Europe and beyond, Lord, that their teaching, that the proclamation of the gospel would go from there uh, to their community and to the ends of the earth, God. So, Lord, we stand behind our brother and our sister. Thank you that we have the common bond of Christ, that though they are in a totally different part of the world, that we can say they are our family. And so, Lord, watch over them. Lord, we ask again for your goodness and your grace, your mercy and your compassion uh, to be made manifest in this situation. 
And Lord, as we get into your word right now, God, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to see who your Holy Spirit is and how your Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us in every trial. Lord, we give you our hearts and our attention. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are uh, new to this church, we've been in the series called What We Believe. And it's kind of like a systematic theology series where uh, we've been talking about what the scripture says about the Bible. How can we trust the Bible? Who is God? How do we know, who, how do we know he exists? Who is Jesus the Son? And lately, the past few weeks, we've been in the, uh, the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And so I want to start off by um, sharing about this topic. And, you know, you look back on all the generations, and every generation has its culture of youth. And the youth have their own phases they go through. Right for the 60s and 70s, you saw the, the hippie movement and the counterculture movement. Maybe that was your era. In, in the 80s, if you grew up in the 80s, you saw the rise of punk rock and, and even hip-hop. And if you grew up in the 90s, that was, that was my generation. I was in high school in the 90s. It, all, it almost seemed like everybody, at least from my area where I grew up, it seemed like everybody had this phase where you just wanted to be gangster. Like, you wanted to be tough. You wanted to be hard, right? So, like, here's a high school picture of my friends and, and me at a high school dance. This is us trying to look all hard. Of course, you can't smile. We'll leave that to the girls. But we, we're just trying to be tough. Everybody wants to be tough. I mean, come on, because, like, you know West Horns. You know how tough it gets out, out here in West Horns, right? No, seriously, they're like, how real can the struggle be in West Horns? Like, the hardest struggle we had was having homework on Fridays or studying for the SATs. That's the struggle we had. But yet, everybody tried to play the part. You wore your baggy pants, your baggy clothes, you had the hairstyle, and you just tried to be tough. Well, I remember one particular week, uh, we had a new kid at school at West High, and he was a sophomore, so he was an underclassman. We're going to call him YK, because I know some of you guys know him personally. We're going to protect his identity. His name is YK, and I know that... Uh, when he came to school, the, the tough guys in the school didn't want to give him a warm welcome. And people gave him a hard time. People wanted to fight him. People told him to watch his back. And uh, I remember this one day, um, I'm walking home from school, and I'm walking with some friends to my house, and we walk past this alleyway, and there's this big commotion going on like a big crowd. And so my friends and I run over to see what's going on, and we look. And, and here's the thing. I grew up on uh, Bruce Lee movies, right? And so like in every Bruce Lee movie, if you've ever seen a Bruce Lee movie, there's always at least one scene where Bruce Lee is surrounded and outnumbered by a bunch of guys, and somehow Bruce Lee always manages to fight them all off and send them running, right? And every time I see a scene like this, it's entertaining. But I'm like, there's no way that's real life. That's ridiculous. No one could fight off a bunch of people if he's outnumbered. So I thought until that day. Because when my friends and I, we rushed over to this alley to see what the commotion was, I see this sophomore kid, YK, surrounded by a bunch of guys. And he's literally fighting them. And he's standing up to them. He's not backing down. And by the end of the whole thing, they're all running. 
And I thought to myself, I was talking to Pastor James about this because we were reminiscing this past week about it because Pastor James was actually there too. In fact, let me show you a picture of Pastor James in high school. This is Pastor James, okay? These are your pastors, guys. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Take it or leave it. But so, so we were talking about this, and I remember seeing that, that incident and thinking to myself, who is this guy? Like, this guy's the real deal. Who is this YK guy? Well, from that day forward, YK earned his respect at West High. I mean, you, you either loved him and you respected him or you hated him, but you still respected him. You didn't mess with him. And moving forward, he didn't hang out with the underclassmen, with, with the other sophomores. He actually hung out with the upperclassmen. And in fact, YK and I, we became pretty good friends. And every day he'd come over to my house and we'd hang out. And I'll tell you the truth. This is the first time I'm saying this publicly. But every time I walked around West High and YK was with me, I walked around with my shoulders high, my chin up, my chest puffed out, and, and I wasn't scared of anyone because YK was with me. Like, we're walking down the hall. If you bumped me on the shoulder, oh, you better watch out. You better back up because YK is with me, right? But I, to be honest, I'm soft. If, if, if he wasn't there, you knock me on the shoulder, I'd be like, ow, ow, like, sorry. Sorry for being in your way. But, but it changed whenever YK was beside me. Because they knew who he was. And they knew if he was with me, you don't mess with me. I think about the disciples who walked with Jesus. And after three years, they're realizing who Jesus is. He is the God of the universe. This is the son of God. They, they saw Jesus make demons disappear. They, they saw Jesus make diseases go away. He made the seas Seize. He made, he, made, he made illness just flee. Who is this Jesus? And they realize he's master and we are team Jesus. What's it like to walk with Jesus? And so there's this confidence in them. But then Jesus leaves them. He leaves them. And it's okay because you know what is better than having Jesus beside you? Well, according to J.D. Greer's book, Jesus Continued, he says, better than having Jesus beside you is the spirit inside you. It's having the spirit inside you. Jesus left us for good. That's the title of today's message. I'm calling it Jesus left us for good. And he left us to give us something really good, something really beneficial Something really advantageous, according to his own words. Let me show you John chapter 16, verse 7. If you have your book, Bible, turn to John 16, verse 7. It's in your app. It's in your phones as well. But here's what Jesus says about him leaving us. He says in the ESV version, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so the helper that he gives us in exchange is the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's interesting. Let me show you a different version, same verse. Let's go to the NIV. Here's how the NIV writes it. He says, truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Circle that word advocate if you have it in your Bibles. 
Let me show you another version. KJV says this, same verse. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. Circle the word comforter if you see that there. Let me show you another version of the same verse. This is the CSB, which is an increasingly popular version. It says this, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And so I just showed you four versions translating the same text. One calls the Holy Spirit the helper. One calls him the comforter. One calls him the counselor. One calls him the advocate. How is it that four versions translating the same text is giving us four very different descriptions, four very different words? Is there a mistake here? Let me try to help you understand what's going on. Those four words are actually being taken from one original Greek word. And that original Greek word is the word parakletos. Parakletos. And parakletos is actually a, a word made up of two words. Para in the Greek means next to or alongside. Right? And then kletos, which comes from kaleo, means to call, to speak, or to invite. Right? So, uh, Parakletos, which we pronounce as paraclete in the English, is one who you call out to to come alongside you, to come to your side, especially in times of need. Right? It's the guy you call to your side in the time of need. And so a paraclete was often what you would call a lawyer or an advocate in a court trial. Because when you're in a court trial, like you need someone to, to stand next to you to defend you. You need a lawyer. And what's that lawyer going to do for you in that trial? Well, at times, he's going to be there to, to help you. He's going to say, okay, this is what we need to say. This is the argument we need to make. Sometimes he's there to defend you. And he'll call out and say, hey, don't worry. I'm going to fight for you. We got this, okay? Don't worry. I'm going to be by your side. Sometimes he's there to call out and comfort you. Hey, listen, don't be discouraged. I've seen this before. We can win this. We've got this. And sometimes he's there to advise you. Okay, listen, this is what you don't say. Don't say this. Don't bring this up, but bring this up. This is what's going to get us the victory. That's what an advocate or a lawyer does in your trial. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to do in our trials. He is the paraclete, the parakletos, and he's going to help us or comfort us or counsel us or advocate for us in every situation. So what I want to do is I want to take you to the three other times in the book of John that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the paraclete. And let's see what advantage we have that we have God inside of us. Okay, so turn with me one chapter uh, or two chapters previous to John 14. John 14 and verse 6 to 7, here's what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I put the word paraclete there. I put it in parentheses because, again, if you look over four different versions, four, four translations, you're going to get four different words. And I want to show you, looking at the context of this passage we just read, how at the very least, the paraclete is our comforter. So if you're taking notes, would you write this down? The paraclete is our comforter. 
as the KJV reads. He is our comforter. So think about, I want to take you on this emotional roller coaster ride, okay, that these disciples must have experienced. Because as they're getting to know Jesus in those first three years of his ministry, they're, they're getting to this point where they're fearless, right? They, they realize this is Jesus. Like he truly is who he says he is. They've seen him do the miracles and the signs and the works that he performed. And they're realizing, man, we're team Jesus. We're with him and he's with us. Who can stop us? Even the demons flee. He, he sends legions running into the pigs and into the swamp. And so they're, they're fearless as they're walking with Jesus. But then that fearlessness becomes what? fearfulness because there comes a point where their master is taken he's tortured he's beaten he's crucified on a cross and all of a sudden the disciples find themselves hiding in a room locking themselves in that room because what just happened to master could happen to us so fearlessness goes to fearfulness but then what happens three days later Boom! Jesus breaks forth out of the grave. He comes back to life. And I can imagine that fearfulness goes to confidence. Like, yeah, that's our man. That's our master. That's Jesus. We knew he could do it. Right? He just came back from the dead. He stuck it in the face of Satan. He is alive. And so their confidence must be sky high. And then Jesus says the most confidence-inducing thing. Last chapter of Matthew 28, the Gospel of Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew, he says to them, he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. I will be with you. It's like, yeah, he's going to be with us. He, I, I knew he wouldn't leave us. He conquered the grave. He's back, and he will never leave us till the end of the age. And so they have this confidence, and then what happens? Well, we go to Acts chapter 1, which is the sequel to the Gospels. It's pretty much the next chapter in the story. And boom, Jesus is gone. He ascends right back into heaven. How in the world, Jesus, are you going to promise that you're going to be with them until the very end of the age, and then the next chapter, poof, you're gone? How are you, you going to break your promise like that? Well, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16. It said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. What do you mean another paraclete? Who was the first one? Well, Jesus was the first one. See, Jesus is referred to as the paraclete in 1 John chapter 2. And in that context, it's saying that in our sin, he's our advocate before the Father. He helps us stand before a righteous God. And so Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to give you another paraclete. I want to show you something very interesting. If we go back to John 14, 16, I want you to circle those two words, another paraclete, another paraclete. And in the Greek, it says alas parakletos, alas parakletos. I don't want to make too big of a deal about this, but I want to point out something pretty interesting. Vine's Expository Dictionary says that there are two words that can be translated for another. Another. And so one of the words is the word heteros in the Greek. Heteros. That, that might sound familiar to you. And heteros means another of a different kind. So if you think about someone who's heterosexual, that means you are attracted to someone of a different gender, a different sex. 
Think about something that's heterogeneous is something made up of different kinds. That's what hetero means, another of a different kind. But then Vines will tell you there's another word that translated another, and that's alas. Alas. And that's often used to refer to another of the same kind. The same kind. So, for example, like last time I spoke, I shared about how my mountain bike got stolen. And a few of you came up to me after the service asking, what happened to that? Did, did you get it replaced? And the answer is yes, I got Alas mountain bike. <laughs> another mountain bike. Same thing, different brand, but essentially it's, a, it's another mountain bike to replace my stolen mountain bike. Another of the same thing. And what Jesus is saying here, I'm going to give you Alas Paracletos. God the Son is going back into heaven, but God the Spirit will be given to you. In very essence, you will have the presence of God. The presence of God is in very essence who the Spirit is, and he will be with you. Now stop and think about this. The God of this universe is with you. Like, don't let that fly over your head. Let's, let's sit in this for a moment. If you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith in him, then the God of this universe walks with you. Like, I, I don't know what you're going through right now. I, I don't know what you're going through right now. But I trust someone needs to hear this today. And if not today, maybe it's tomorrow. Or maybe it's next month. But the God of this universe is with you. You. I'm telling you, walking with YK at West High truly, truly gave me this confidence and this comfort that, that I, I could go anywhere and do anything and not have to fear. But can you imagine what it's like that you walk with the God of this universe? If God is for you, who can be against you? The next time you have a trial, the next time you have that public presentation, the next time you have that final exam, the next time you have to go through that medical procedure, the next time you have to go through that interview that matters so much, the next time you have to have that difficult conversation that you dread having, the next time you have to share your testimony at that ministry they ask you to speak at, Stop and understand that God is with you. He's with you. That should change everything, knowing that the paraclete is alongside you, inside of you, with every trial. You know, in 1996, there was this art gallery that was uh, holding this contest, and they, they said the theme is peace. And so they invited everybody to participate, paint your best picture of peace. What does peace look like to you? So imagine you're going to enter into that contest. What kind of painting would you paint? What does peace look like to you? Perhaps for you, it's kind of like this, like a, a house secluded, sitting on a very peaceful lake as the sun sets, not a ripple in the lake. I look at this and I go, ah, that's nice. Or maybe for you, it's, it's, it's rolling green hills. Green pastures, the kind where sheep come to find rest. Or, or maybe for you, it's that little cabin in, in, in the mountains, that retreat place that you like to go to, where, where there's fresh powdered snow, not even a footprint, indicating there's no other human around. What does peace look like to you? 
Well, the, the winner of the contest, when the winning painting was unveiled, here's what people saw. It was a picture painted by Jack Dawson. And in his picture, you see lightning in the distance. You see waterfalls crashing. You see chaotic currents rushing. You see branches blowing in the wind. You see a storm going on. So how in the world is this the winning portrait of peace? How does this display peace? Well, the judges saw something in this picture. I'm going to try to highlight it for you and zoom in really quick. Here's what the judges saw. They saw hiding in the cleft of the rock a mama bird sitting in the nest peacefully in the midst of that storm. Because they realized what the, the painter was trying to communicate, that peace isn't the absence of storms. Peace isn't the absence of chaos. Peace isn't the absence of tragedy. It's the presence of God. In fact, I, I just, I've seen this painting for years. I didn't notice it until this week, but I'm going to show you, highlight it. The painter put in the cleft of the, in the rocks the face of Christ. Uh, I just noticed that. Because the painter understands that it is Christ who is a rock and our refuge. That's what Pastor Corey talked about last week. It is God who will never leave us. And when we understand that in the midst of the storm, that God is inside us, alongside us, the paraclete truly is our comforter. In the Holy Spirit, God is with you forever. He is our comforter. I want to go on and show you another verse. John 15, turn one chapter over, John 15, verse 26. Because not only is the paraclete our comforter, but here's what Jesus says in 26. He says, but when the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So, again, I put paraclete in parentheses because, again, across at least four different versions, you can get four different translations. But I want to show you how in this context, at the very least, the, the paraclete is our helper. Write that down if you're taking notes. The paraclete is our helper as the ESV writes it. So let's go back. Let's go back to that moment when Jesus resurrected and he comes and appears to his disciples alive from the dead. Can you imagine what it was like to be one of those disciples? Like if I were one of the disciples, I know I would be pumped. I'd be stoked. Yeah, Jesus, you did it. That's the greatest comeback story. The underdog comes and gains the victory. That's the game changer right there. And then in Matthew 28, we go back to that last chapter of Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells us that Jesus gives them this charge. We call it the Great Commission. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, guys, go and tell the world what just happened. Go and tell the world that I died, but now I'm alive. Go and make disciples of all nations. And if, if, I, if I saw that, if I saw my master come back to life, I'm going. My, the rest of my life is about that. I'm telling the world that Jesus lives. And so they got to be stoked and pumped to go. But let me show you, as ready as they were to go and hit the field. This is what happens in the next chapter of the story. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus is still with them, alive in the flesh. And in verse 4 and 5, it says, and while staying with them, he... Jesus ordered them not 
to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What a joy kill, right? What, a, what are you talking about? You just told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and then you're telling us to wait. Can, can you imagine what that holy huddle in Jerusalem looked like? It's like, Team Jesus, all right, guys, bring it in, bring it in. Here's the plan. And Jesus is, is here going, all right, here, here's the plan. So you guys are right here in Jerusalem. All right, do nothing. <laughs> They're like, do nothing. You mean go and start making travel plans to go to this city and that's No, no, no. See, here we are, uh, Jerusalem. I want you guys to go ahead and stay put. <laughs> As in put churches in Judea and Samaria and church plant here and hold gospel crusades there so we could tell the world about what you've done. No, 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 no. Check this out. Here, here we go. One more time. We're in Jerusalem right here. Go nowhere. It's like, Jesus, what are, you, what are you talking about? There's a world that's perishing. You're alive. We need to give them. We got to go save them. What are you talking about? Don't do anything. Go nowhere. And Jesus is just, no, no, no. Just wait. For not many days from now, the Holy Spirit will come. And then in verse 8, a few verses later, Acts 1.8, you know this verse. What does he say? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why did Jesus need them to wait until the Holy Spirit came upon them when they already had the message? We already had the message. We already know what to say. Why does he tell them to wait? I'll tell you why. Here's the answer. Because the disciples would be able to do infinitely more in a moment with the Holy Spirit than they would be able to do in a lifetime apart from him. Don't miss that. The disciples would be able to do significantly more, eternally more in a moment in the power of the Holy Spirit than they would ever accomplish in a lifetime in their own power. We need the help of the Holy Spirit or our work and our ministry is meaningless. Christians, family, don't, don't miss this truth. I love seeing Christians eager to get in the game. I love when Christians are ready to roll up their sleeves and lace up their shoes and gird up their loins and go and serve the Lord. And maybe that's you. Maybe you have a mission to accomplish. Maybe you have nations to reach. Maybe you have a message to deliver. Maybe you have a testimony to share. Maybe you have a soul to save. Maybe you have kids' crew service to serve at. And you're just ready to get in the game, but, but sometimes we need to stop and realize that we need help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit if we want any of our work to have any kind of meaning. Because we will do infinitely more in the power of the Holy Spirit than we would ever do on our own abilities, our own knowledge, or our own understanding. We need to stop and realize the paraclete is our helper. And Jesus says that when he comes, he will be the helper. 
He will witness about me. He will bear witness to my name. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to help people see who Jesus truly is. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. I've heard many sermon illustrations in my life. There's this one in particular that probably probably means most to me. One that I have to remember every single time I'm backstage and I'm about to take this pulpit. It's the story of a, a, a preaching professor, a seminary professor, who for the very first class, he takes his seminary students out of the classroom and he brings them to a cemetery. And he brings them to the cemetery. He says, all right, this is your first assignment. I want you to, to speak to these graves. I want you to preach to them your best message. And I want to see if any of you can make the dead corpse come out of the grave. That's your first assignment. And like these, you can imagine these seminary students are like laughing. This is a joke, right? We, we thought we were going to seminary, not the cemetery. Like what is this, right? And so, so they're laughing and they look at the professor. He's not laughing. And they realize, oh, this is not a joke. He's serious. He wants us to raise the dead. And so nervously, they go at it. One by one, they try to, to, to shout. He's like, you could do whatever you want. You could give an expository sermon or a topical sermon. You could open with a joke or a really good story. You, you could scream and you could yell and shout or you could whisper. And so one student comes up and he, he starts yelling at the grave. And he says, come alive. In Jesus' name, come alive. And nothing happens. Another student comes and he gives his best 15-minute sermon ever, the fieriest sermon he's ever given. He's preaching the gospel and nothing happens. And then this other student comes and he takes the word. He simply opens up the word of God and he reads it with compassion, with conviction, and with power. He just reads it. Guess what happens? Nothing, nothing happened. The guy's still dead. The guy is still dead. And at the end of the day, not a single seminary student was able to make the dead come out of the grave. And that was the first lesson that they needed to learn. That you do not have power in you to give life to the dead. You don't have a sermon that's good enough. You don't preach well enough. You don't have any ability to make the dead come alive. Only God can. Only God does. He gives life to the dead. And we need to all start there. Every pastor who stands behind a pulpit needs to begin there. You don't give life to the dead. To the spiritually dead. And every Christian who believes in the Great Commission, who's serious about the commands of Christ to go and make him known, We have to begin there. You don't have power in you to give life to that which is spiritually dead. We need help. You need help. And praise God that the paraclete is our helper. He will bear witness to the name of Jesus through your ministry and through your words. You might have a child that just won't come to church with you. And it's like, why won't that kid read the Bible? And you would love to just slap salvation into that kid. 
or, or maybe you have a family member that you debate with every family gathering. They debate Buddhism or atheism, and you debate Christianity. You go back and forth, but nothing moves in that family member's heart. Maybe you have a coworker or a, a, a friend, a classmate that you've been gently trying to invite to church and gently trying to display Christ in your relationship. You're doing all that you can, but there's this frustration. Why won't they just accept? Why won't they just believe in, in the Jesus I believe in? And it could be frustrating, but I want to remind you, you don't give life to the dead. You need help. But the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He's our helper. He will give you the words to say. He will give you the power to speak. And if God so wills, then he will give life to the dead. So we trust in the paraclete as our helper. He's our comforter in every trial. He's our helper in every ministry. Let me give you one more passage John 14, let's go back one more chapter. John 14, 26. And here's what Jesus says to the disciples. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Highlight that last sentence. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So at the very least, you're going to get you know, four different translations of that word, but at the very least, I want to show you from this context that the paraclete is our counselor. He's our counselor, as the CSB puts it. He is our counselor. So how is it that the paraclete counsels us? Well, by guiding us through our situation, helping us navigate it, and navigating us into the truth. Isn't that what counselors do? They help us navigate the situation and lead us into what's true. Have any of you ever been in a cave, like a real natural cave? Many of our national parks have caves. And if you've ever been inside a cave, you'll know that it is darker than dark inside a cave. You go inside and you'll realize that it gets so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face. But how in the world, if it's that dark, can you explore this cave? Like, what can you do if you want to see the beauties of this cave? Well, one thing you can do at some of these national parks is you can hire a tour guide. And that tour guide will take his light. And he will lead you into this cave that he knows very well. And you follow this tour guide, and with his light, he'll lead you into this cave. But if you've ever been in a cave, with a, even with the tour guide in his light, you realize that not everything is illuminated all at once. There's parts of that cave that's still dark. And you don't know it's there because you've never been there. You've never explored it. But that's okay because you got a guide. And you just walk with your guide and you follow him. You just keep in, in step with him, step by step, and he'll show you the beauties of what's in that cave. He might say, hey, come over here. I want to show you this over here. I want to show you these tunnels and these, these rock formations in this cave. And they'll tell you all about what you're seeing. And then he'll say, hey, come over here. I want to show you something else. I want to show you these pools of water. Like over here, there's some pools of water in these streams that helped form this cave. And then check this out. This is really cool. I'm going to show you some stalactites and stalagmites over here. And I'll show you with his light what's happened over years upon years upon years. Just walk with your guide. He's got the light. He knows the cave. And he's going to show you bit by bit. If you stay in step with him. Well, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is our guide. 
And it's the Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth. He turns the light on. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we're able to see that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Isn't it what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3? He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into faith. He opens up our mind to understand and embrace with our heart the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And so, so in essence, he, he's the one who brings us into the faith. He brings us into salvation. But once you're there, how many of you guys realize that not everything is clear? Like, you don't always understand everything about God and, and the Bible and Christianity. How many of you guys, the day you, you, you receive Christ, you get a Bible, next day you want to read about it, you're excited, and you start reading, and you're like, huh? <laughs> like, what, like what, what, do you, what is predestination? What, what, what do you mean I'm supposed to love my enemies? How do I love someone I don't even like? Well, what, like, what, and who, what, or who is Melchizedek? Like, what is this thing talking about? And sometimes it could be overwhelming trying to understand it all. And I, I want to assure you it's okay. This is overwhelming. Our God is overwhelming. But don't worry, because in John 16, verse 13, here's what Jesus says. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all the truth. Not just the truth, but all the truth. Everything, everything beautiful about this truth that belongs to God. He will be your guide. And so with the guidance of our paraclete, he's going to counsel us and he's going to help us explore day by day. Just keep walking with him. Now here's the thing. Jesus said that the paraclete will teach us all things, but... He will also remind us of all that he has said. So he's going to teach it to us, and then he's going to remind us. And a lot of times when he teaches us things, the light comes on, it's going on up here. I get it. I get it. But a lot of times, oftentimes, it's in the remembrance that it goes from here to here. Oh, now I really get it. And it's in timely moments, opportune moments, where he's going to remind us of what he has taught us in the past. Let me try to illustrate this for you. About a month ago, I was uh, doing a funeral at Green Hills Memorial in Palos Verdes. And it was for a dear sister um, of our family, Laura Agsaloon. And I, I've, I've done funerals, and to be honest, I, I don't cry at funerals. I just, I don't. But this one hit differently. This one hit me differently. And I was thinking, maybe it's because I was there to help bury her mom. I officiated her mom's funeral years ago. And I also married her son. I officiated her son's wedding. And I was also there, you know, after 14 years being at this church, she didn't want to get baptized because of the fear of the public stage. But she finally decided that she was going to do it. She's going to proclaim her faith. And I got to be in the pool with her to help baptize her. And now here I am on this green hill, and I'm about to bury her. And it, it just it hit different. And I remember even during the service, T 
tears started coming, and the tears just would not stop. It just would not stop the whole service. And so here we are on this green hill, and we're about to do the burial. It's a big hole in the ground. And I'm standing there. We're all standing around waiting for the funeral directors to, to give us instructions on what to do. So I'm standing there, and I look, look down. I drop my head. And when I drop my head, my, my jaws drop. Because when I looked down to where I was standing, I was standing right at the gravesite of my childhood friend. I took a picture of that moment. It was such an emotional moment for me, such a very timely moment for me. But I'd never been to her site before. And there I was standing at her grave. See, Janet was a friend of my family friend. We grew up together. I grew up going to her house every day after school, playing with her at Delthorne Park. She went to my church, grew up going to our youth group, our college group. We ended up going to the same college at the same time at UCI. And it was during those years at UCI when she was 20 years old, she got really sick. She got really sick, was in the hospital, weeks, wasn't coming out. And it was during that time, I was like gung-ho about seeing God heal a person before our very eyes. I mean, I, I, would, I would hold these prayer meetings, and I'd rally up our church here in the South Bay. I'd, I'd rally up our friends at Yishai. Guys, come on, guys. we got to pray because our God is powerful, and our God is able. Just read, and he's able to heal the sick and make the lame walk. He raises people from the dead, so let's pray. And I would send out these emails reminding people, let's just keep praying, praying faith. And I remember this one night I held this prayer meeting at my apartment at at UCI in Irvine, I invited people from back home. I invited people who knew her from school to my living room. We sang songs of praise, and then we would just pray specifically for the healing of Janet. And I was reminding them, listen, ask, and you will receive. Pray in faith, and it will be done. It will be given to you. And I remember just being so gung-ho and passionate that God was going to move that after that prayer meeting that night, I'll never forget, two people from my church came up to me. And they go, Greg, like, it's so inspiring to see your faith. Like, you truly believe that God's going to heal her. That's awesome. That inspires us. But they said, but we were just talking and we're wondering, what if God doesn't heal her? They said, would, will you be okay? Like, if she doesn't come out of the hospital? And I, I'll never forget my answer. I said, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. I mean, don't you believe? Like, just keep praying. You pray in faith. You just got to believe, and he's going to heal her. Oh, ye children of little faith. <laughs> right? Are ye children of little faith. Just have faith. But I said, but in answer to your question, if he doesn't heal her. I remember telling them, I don't know. I could see myself walking away from him. I could see myself cursing him. I could see myself abandoning the faith because that's not my God. That's a liar. But you don't have to worry. So you could imagine what it was like that morning, I'm at work, I was at an internship there in Irvine. I'm in my office, 9.30, I get a call from an elder at my church. And he says, Greg, Janet just went home to be with the Lord. 
she passed this morning. I'm telling you, man, there's no way I was going to talk to another customer that day. And I just sat in my office at my desk, and there's only one word I could get out of my mouth. It's like, why? Why? I remember just burying my, my face in my hands for an hour. I didn't leave the office. Why? 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 I needed a counselor in that moment. That would have been helpful. A grief counselor. And I tell you, in those days, a counselor came to my side, a paraclete. And he reminded me of a passage that I've always known, that he's taught me in the past, Isaiah 57. And this is what he reminded me of, Isaiah 57, verses 1 and 2. Here's what the counselor told me. He says, the righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. I don't know if this verse does anything to you right now. Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. That's okay. There's a point in my life it did nothing to me. I don't know if this speaks to a situation or an experience you've had or a loss that you suffered. But my point is that the counselor knew what this heart needed. He knew what this heart needed in that moment, and he used a scripture. He reminded me something that proved helpful for me to save my heart from despair, to keep me from abandoning my faith. And he's reminding me from this passage, listen, I don't always understand everything God understands. And he's helping me understand. I don't understand what God understands about Janet's passing, that sometimes the righteous are shown grace and mercy when he spares them from evil, when he spares them from disease, when he spares them from suffering like I saw Janet going through. That sometimes there's actually real peace and real rest that a person needs in physical death because they get eternal spiritual life. That was what this heart needed. And it saved my faith. And so as I'm standing there about a month ago, at, on the screen hill, it's like in that timely moment, the, the paraclete was coming alongside me to remind me of what carried me through Janet's passing, to help carry me through Laura's. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. He's our helper. And I want to say, if you have Christ in your life, you've accepted Christ by faith, the counselor lives in your heart. And because he is in your heart, he knows the depths of your heart. He knows what's in there. He knows the fears that you face. He knows the failings of your flesh. He knows the details of your despair. He, he knows the burdens that you currently bear. He knows the secrets in your heart. He knows the skeletons in your closet. But because he is God, he is good. He is good. And he is with you, not to condemn you, but to comfort you. He might recall your past, not to hurt you, but to help you. 
He's your helper. He's going to call out to you and speak to you, not to confuse you, but to counsel you. He's your counselor. He is our paraclete. And he will be with you until the end of the age. Praise be to God that through his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is with you. Amen. Amen and amen. Would you guys pr- pray with me? And let's, let's respond in praise. I want to give you a moment just to recognize God in you. And call upon him just to be active in your life to remind you that he's there. And if you don't have this assurance that God is in you and with you, I want to invite you right now to accept by faith what Christ did for you. Christ died for you. He was your advocate. He stood before you in front of a righteous God to make peace and reconciliation with that God. He died on the cross for your sins and forgave you. And the Bible says if you believe in that by faith, you're saved. You have eternal life. And he gives you the Holy Spirit in that moment. So it could be in this moment that you can know God is in you to help you walk day by day, to lead you into truth, and to help you walk in the ways of God. So I'm going to pray a prayer right now with you. And this is a prayer of faith. And so I'll pray it out loud. I encourage you to pray it to God like you mean it, sincerely mean it. And pray something like this. Father God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I've messed up in different ways. But thank you that Jesus Christ was my advocate. That he took my place. That he washed my sins away. And he rose from the dead to give me life. Today I believe it by faith. I make a commitment to you to walk with you. And Lord, I invite your Holy Spirit into my heart right now to live in me. Help me to know that from this day on to the end of the age, into eternity, help me to know that you are with me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for all of us. And we just want to respond the best way we can respond. And that's to sing praise and to worship you now. And so we sing out to you in Jesus' name. Amen.